Welcome to the Energy Fellows podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows. They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry. Enabling best-in-class customer experience and operational excellence in a hyper-connected oil and gas world, TCS prioritizes problem-solving and leverages customer insights to drive real business results. To find out more, go to TCS.com. That's TCS.com. Welcome to another episode of the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansbury, your host, and I hope that you've watched the documentary, Sherwood Force, Top Secret. If not, go to PBS.org. You can see it there. Also, I want to mention the book, Monograph, and American Needs, America's Energy, and its natural resources. Please go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble to receive the document. The documentary is also there, but also the book as well. And then the column in Oil and Man magazine continued in our 10th year as a contributing editor for that particular magazine, Energies Magazine, Oil and Man magazine. Emmanuel Sullivan, publisher of those magazines as well. If you will, go to rate and review in the show notes. We'd like to hear from you. Please rate and we'd review. We'd love to hear about who you would like to hear from and a fellow energy fellow and, and others. Please go to the show notes. And also in the show notes, there's a survey. It only takes 10 seconds or less to fill out and you'll receive from OGGN. You'll receive stickers for your hard hats or laptops, whatever. And I want to thank OGGN, the family at OGGN, the team effort, as well as all those sponsor these programs and uh, our sponsors as well. Well, this is a treat, a big treat today. For years, I've been interviewed by, in fact, I got to interview this gentleman one time when I had a show in Tulsa, but that's been over 10 years ago, if you can imagine. And now, 10 years later, I get to interview a great friend, a great Western Oklahoma friend from Elk City, Sean Wilson. Welcome to the Energy Fellows, Sean. Thank you so much, Mark. I was honored to be asked to be a guest here on your Energy Fellows podcast. Really looking forward to it. You mentioned that you and I have a long history, and you were my first reoccurring guest on a show that I host that's aired weekdays called Exploring Energy, where we just talk about all things energy, you know, facing our local economy, plus, you know, the world, the nation. I guarantee it, we cover a wide swath. No question about it. And unbelievable audience, all those that listen, but also those that are on the on the interviews. It's a wonderful program. And I hope those that will, you know, a daily program from eight, around 8.05 until 9 o'clock each morning. I traveled to Dallas and used all over the U.S. And I would tune in and it would keep me up to date. Still does. I love that they've got what, YouTube and also podcast now and other things. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I'd like to hear more about Sean Wilson. Sean has had the honor to read the citation for introduction into the Western Oklahoma Hall of Fame, Western Oklahoma Hall of Fame for inductee Sean Wilson. And he's led a great life. And I want him to talk about this because he's been an instrumental part of Western Oklahoma and Elk City in several areas. Not only energy, but super, you know, as far as the school system, chair of that, I guess, president of, of the school system out in Elk City, you can talk about that and how he played a big role in being the voice of Elk City as well. Sean, please, we'd like to hear from you. Well, I grew up on a dairy farm south of Kansas City, Missouri, in a place called Harrisonville. 
That's why I'm still a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan, <laughs> not one of those guys that just jumped on the Mahomes bandwagon. I'm glad to have him. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, I bet I'm a lifelonger. Back to Lenny <laughs> Dawson uh, days, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Hope I was Taylor. Dawson out there in the front yard football. Yeah, Chuck Taylor and, and all those guys too, Ed Podolak. But anyway, you know, it was just a wonderful opportunity to learn about what work really was. Because when you grow up on a dairy farm, it's 365 24 seven. I mean, they don't know when it's your birthday. They don't know when it's Christmas. They don't know when you're sick. Those cows have to be milked. They have to be cared for. So it taught me a whole lot. Now, if I didn't have such bad asthma problems and allergy problems, I'd have probably still been there, but had to move to a little drier climate, moved, graduated high school. And then I went to university of Missouri and wrestled there at MU, got hurt, decided that college wasn't my thing. And so I moved to Oklahoma in March of 1981 and came to Elk City and started my life here. Basically, I went to work for NL McCullough doing wireline. We set down whole packers and we uh, perforation guns and different things like that. A very wide, eye-opening experience for a, a farm right. kid. You know, it wasn't opposed to hard work, but a lot of danger involved. You know, where I grew up, the danger was, you know, a cow might kick you. <laughs> here you you might get a kick of gas in this H2S, you know, and you're done. You <laughs> it was different. But, you know, I moved to Elk City. I went to work for Nell McCullough. Then I started work for Rayco Electric as an apprentice in the electrical business and heat and air. I did that for a while. And then I, st- then I got into the pipe valves and fittings after roustabouting for about a year. I thought, man, I don't want to be the guy on the end of this 36-inch pipe wrench. I want to be the guy in that pickup that rolls up there, and it's cool in the summer, warm in the winter, jumps out, throws that box of parts on the ground, gets a ticket signed, jumps back in, and goes on. So work smarter, not harder, my daddy always used to tell me. And so I just started asking those guys, hey, how do I become you? Well, you know, they were like, pay attention to what it is you work, you know, what you're hooking up on this flow line, on this tank battery, two-inch, 90-degree, 2,000-pound L. It's listed right on there. You know, what does this dump line do? And what does this relief valve do? And this flow line do? And just start asking questions. And then, you know, you get the product knowledge. Well, sure enough, a, a job came open, and I, I went to work as a warehouse supervisor for Amfac Pipe and Supply. They were kind of the heavy wall fitting Back in the day, they used to use a lot of triple X and quad X pipe because the pressure out here in Western Oklahoma and the Anadarko Basin was so great, you know, 20,000 pounds plus. And so a lot of people went with uh, thicker wall thicknesses back in those days. So that's kind of what I did. And then I started in the warehouse and then the regional manager came out and visited with me about, oh, 10 or 15 minutes says, go home, change your clothes, man. We need you in the field. We need you out talking to people. And so I started selling pipe valves and fittings. And then I worked for several of the majors. I worked for Republic and Bovard and LTV Energy Products, Continental Imsco, now Wilson, you know, now NOV. So, I mean, there's a lot of people, but I gained a lot of experience. Uh, The other thing that I was able to do was in 88, I started doing radio broadcasts for the local Elk City sports teams. As a sideline job, I did that in the evening. And then how I was able to make that happen is as you grow through your life in the patch, you realize you get what you want going in because they buy up the competition. If you're a great salesperson, that's why another supply house will come at you and say, hey, listen, what would it take to get you to come over here and go to work for us? Well, 
you know, it's going to take a company truck this amount. And I'm also the voice of Elk City Sports, you know. And so, but you get to be a free sponsor if you allow me off early for some of the games. So that worked out really, really well for me. And I started doing that. And then about 23 years ago, I went full-time here at the station selling radio and then doing the sports. So I was the voice of Elk City Sports for 28 years. Great. And then made a lot of friends. And, you know, of course, as a salesperson, you never make a cold call when people know who you are already. You know, there's already that element of trust that you've established. You may not know who they are, but they know who you are. And that's the biggest thing as a salesman is get them to trust you, you know, to understand who you are and what you're all about. So that really worked out well for me. And then, well, the oil and gas industry was so prevalent in help wanted ads. The owner of the station and the management, we all got together and sat down and said, hey, we need a place to put these help wanted ads. You know, we had a tradeo program where people buy, sell and trade. This was something a little more specific, a little more specific niche. And so we decided, well, if we had an oil and gas show, we could put these help wanted ads within this oil and gas show. And so then we talked about another 10 minutes. We kicked around a few ideas. I came up with the idea of calling it Exploring Energy because we had wind, what we a had great solar, name. we had Yeah, nuclear. what a great name, no question. Yeah, where it was, you know, all energy encompassing. Even though the oil and natural gas out here in western Oklahoma at that point was definitely key. But the wind turbines were starting to make their presence known out here as well. And then we started it, and then I have been hosting the show ever since. And it'll be, I think, 13 years come January. So it stood the test of time. And it's really awesome to be able to provide that information because people are so busy, especially out here. I mean, anywhere really, but out here in the patch, you know, they're always in their truck, they're traveling, you know, and like you said, listening to the archives, if they can't listen to it live, you know? So what we just tried to do is we just tried to bring in news and interviews from around the corner, around the globe, you know, and just try to make it all encompassing and then let people make their own decisions, but, you know, kind of give them, you know, what the news of the day is because with OPEC situation and with the change of the presidents over the last, well, eight to 12 years, it's volatile, you know, it's so up and down. And right now with the current regime in place, it makes it hard. I kind of joke and tell people, my listeners, you know, that here's what's going on with the oil and gas industry. Nobody's checking the oil. Nobody's checking the oil because the dipstick is at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. (laughs) One thing I like about Sean, he's going to tell you what he thinks and like it is and from his perspective and which is really important to have as a friend. Because if I ask him something I got to expect, I'm going to get a good answer. <laughs> and really, really an honest answer for sure. <laughs> but it's really important right now to be, I think, of all things, direct and transparent because that's what we don't have. We've got a lot of people out there that have no idea what they're talking about. They're asked questions in Congress and they just him and haw and don't have any facts or figures in front of them when they're in, you know going through the process of being testifying before Congress. And some of the congressmen haven't done their briefings either, looked at anything. So it's we're living in a really unbelievable time. And so I listen to this in the mornings when I can, when I'm traveling or in my home office or in my office or wherever it might be at the hotel. I keep up. And then also what's great about the show, Exploring Energy, is you're able to go to the archives. And so if I miss a show or miss a speaker or 
interview. I can go back and so forth. We're going to talk about that as well. But I like what you're saying, Sean. Is there anything else you want to talk about? You did serve on the school board. I do want to mention that. I did. I served 11 years on the Board of Education, eight as its president, the only public office I've ever held, because after I ran and got that office, my wife took me to the (laughs) side and said, well, now, if you aspire to a career in politics, find yourself another woman, because I'm not going to play that game, you know? And so it was just too confining for her, for fear she might say something that affected me. But nonetheless, I served and I found out very quickly that you know, no one will walk across the room, pat you on the back, say, hey, thanks for serving. But they dodge I-40 traffic and rush hour to tell you you suck. But I wasn't doing it for the accolades. I was doing it for an opportunity to be a doer. Because as I was growing up, my folks taught me there's two kind of people. Those people that get out there and do it, those that complain about it not getting done. And I decided very quickly in my life that I wanted to be one of those doers. And not because I'm the only one that can do it right, because the one thing I have learned as I've gone through life is a lot of ideas make for a better plan, you know, where you just shotgun ideas out and then everybody says, hey, what about this? What about this? And then you're receptive to, hey, let's focus on this process and and let's take the people out of it, make this thing work. And that's the one thing that I feel like has benefited our show. But then, you know, as I was serving on the Board of Education, you know, my two daughters, went through school and became educators. They wanted to move back here to Elk City, which my wife and I were just ecstatic because we knew that that would be the bulk of our grandchildren one day. And they both came back and became teachers, which as a school board member, it's kind of crazy. The superintendent can hire everybody in his family and his wife's family and his wife's family's (laughs) family. But as a board of education member, you can't be related to someone in the seventh degree to give you an idea. So like, my granddaughter's husband's uncle's wife couldn't work for the school system if I was a board member. That's how silly that is. But it is the rule, and I gladly stepped aside to allow my daughters to have a job here. And they both are still educators here in the Elk City school system. So, But it was also a wonderful opportunity to be able to serve. And, you know, not just what I felt like was best for my kids, but what I felt like was best for all the kids. I know I'm going to give you a little story very quickly. We were having a lot of issues with, oh, fighting in the schools with just belligerency. And I was at the school one day and it was boobs and butt cracks for lack of a better word. The girls wore low, you know, low cut shirts. The boys had their pants sagging down to their ankles. And I asked the junior high principal as I was there just dropping something off for my son for lunch. So he says, I like this all the time. He says, Mr. Wilson, it's generally worse. I said, well, what can we as a board do to help you? And so he takes me into the duty officer's office and he shows me this video and he shows me this kid that comes in there and he's got a, like a trench coat on and just some baggy pants. And this kid goes to pulling out like 15 different weapons, including a a full-size shotgun that you couldn't even tell he had. Okay. And so I said, you mean you want metal detectors? And they were like, no, we feel like school uniforms or basically a defined dress code. The difference is school uniforms is like a parochial school where every kid wears the navy blue blazer, the light blue shirt, the dark blue tie, the girls wear the skirt, you know, that kind of thing. A defined dress code is something, if it's on the piece of paper, it's acceptable. A dress code is a list of things that are unacceptable. But I mean, goodness gracious, from the time I started serving until just, a, you know, a couple years into it, nobody thought that these kids would be buying 
jeans with holes <laughs> near the crotch. I mean, already mm-hmm. put in them, mm-hmm. you know? And so we decided to go with that defined dress code. And boy, I got lit up in the local paper, the local social media. I was Hitler. I was Stalin. I was the guy who woke up one morning and says, let's put our kids in uniforms and yada, yada. Well, I stood tall. I stood tall because I thought if this can help the educators and make it better. So we go into it for the first year. And I also took in consideration that the local businesses, you know, I went to him and said, Hey, how soon would you have to know to go to market to have school uniforms in your store? If we were to put it in and they all said, well, we have to know by February to have it in before school. You know, that's when they go to market for fall clothing. So they were all able to go and get their deals. We actually went and raised $78,000 for kids who didn't have the money to get school uniforms. Within the first year, within the first year of having that defined dress code, not school uniforms, defined dress code, our fights that happened in the school were cut by two thirds. Fabulous. So we had, you know, we had like 75 incidents and it was down below Fabulous. 20. Wonderful. Okay. Because nobody wants to be Billy Bad Butt when they look like they've just come from a fraternity <laughs> mixer. And when every kid looks the same, you don't have that social economic division, especially in the little kids, you know? And so it's crazy how quickly these kids from their parents become logo minded. Like, Oh, I work hard to put my kids in Abercrombie and fish. I'm like, sir, you're one of the reasons we've got problems here. Your kids hear you say that they know you feel like that. So when they go in there, they go to school and those kids got Walmart fall apart clothes on, they won't even go and be in groups with them. Or if they are, they shun them. That stuff changed. And it was a wonderful thing. Now, After I got off, there were some more people that got on that reversed that and made it back to like it was before, but it was still something I felt like was good for the kids and I was able to be a part of it. And I had a whole lot of people come and tell me we were wrong. Well, I'll tell you what about Sean, and I think it's really, I like talking about things and we'll talk about this in a few minutes if we have time. If not, I'll get you back back on because I'd like to talk about habits and and tips of how to manage and things like that along the way as well. And you've given some of those already, some great advice when people are young people, especially looking for jobs and different things like that is to continue to work forward, but you're a doer. And when you're doing activities, I was always told by my mom, you stay busy enough, you can't get in trouble. You know, you just got to stay busy, you know, <laughs> I don't and it's yes. about the truth, you know, just stay busy, keep your head down, keep focused on what you're doing. And you've done that. And I really want to say thank you and to your wife and your family, because it's a sacrifice. Anytime you're in the public eye and what you just told us about, which is really a something tip for advice is probably what I put under the category is that you've got to be a doer, but you've got to make stands sometimes, even when they're not popular. And that, you know, impacts your children and your wife and others around you. So thank you for those efforts for sure, because oh, you can't yeah. do without the family support. And I know they have to, you know, Mark, you and I both know it. Our industry is under attack right now through regulations, you know, through just this climate change catastrophe that they are fabricating to fear people into the world. You know, the sky is falling. I mean, you and I both lived through, you know, the late seventies, early eighties, when they said it was going to be the ice (laughs) age, you know, that we were cool. The planet was cooling and we're all going to be living in the ice age. And then all of a sudden it went to global warming and they couldn't really prove that. So they changed it to climate change. But right now our industry is under attack 
from these people. And these people, they have this ideal idea to fix it, but they have no comprehension in feasibility. There is no feasible way that, you know, green energy, I mean, that's a great concept and I'm all about the all of the above, but let's face it. There are finally starting to be major oil companies that are standing up. I mean, Total, their CEO came out today and said, listen, we're going to put 30% in our green energy. We're going to put 70% in fossil fuels because folks, fossil fuels is here to stay. It cannot be replaced by clean energy in the near future. And as the insatiable appetite for electricity, you know, across the world, but even right here in the United States, you start putting all these electrical electric vehicles on that grid. And you and I both know, Mark, it can't right. handle it. Right. And it's really interesting because I heard Elon Musk speak recently. You probably heard it as well, where he said, we need more oil and gas. We don't need to demonize oil and gas. We need more oil and gas. I'm going, here's the head of Tesla telling us that. And here, yet we have regulations being thrown at us. ESG is part of that. Climate change, as you mentioned. The key is get the facts right. It's one thing to say, are we concerned about the climate, environmental? Definitely. Are we concerned about definitely the ESG, environmental, social governance issues? Definitely. But not to be, I would call it, rammed down our throats, you know, in that regard, because it's we have to have investors. We have to have investment, and we're scaring off people to even invest in oil and gas, and we can't make it without oil and gas. So tell me more about what you're standing on, because I'm telling you a little bit where I believe as well. But please tell the audience what you're doing about it through your energy, I call it literacy program, education through your radio show and your podcast and so forth. Tell us more about you and exploring energy, because we need more Sean Wilsons out there that are really out telling it like it is, getting the dialogue going, because we can speak to ourselves all day and we'll go broke. We've got to get sure. the word out and tell this truth. Please, Sean. Well, what we try to do here is, you know, a lot of people are like, hey, Wilson, you got a lot of politicians on your show. Talk a lot of politics. Well, that is such a huge pressure point on our industry is the politicians. And right now we've got people in charge of the EPA. We've got people in charge of the, you know, people that don't know, like Deb Holland, she's the secretary of the interior and she didn't even know her office was trying to circumvent. Well, she acted like she didn't know that her office was trying to circumvent and not have any new oil leases on federal lands, you know, and then you've got Jennifer Granholm, who's supposed to be this energy secretary. She doesn't even know how much oil the United States consumes in a day. And so what we try to tell people is I try to get politicians on like senators and, and state representatives and kind of not hold their feet to the fire, but at least allow them to tell the people, hey, what is going on here? Because in the intro to my show, T. Boone Pickett says, if we can further our domestic oil and gas production, we can cut out 60 percent of OPEC oil. Now, that's an old, old statement. But within the time we started the show. And we had T. Boone as a guest. He was a wonderful guest, by the way. We became energy independent for the first time ever under Trump. For the first time ever, we were completely energy independent. But as soon as Joe Brandon took over, he declared war on the industry from the word get-go. And then, like you said, the investors started going bad. And then you started getting companies having these ESG and diversity, equity, and inclusion scores and those kind of things. With my show, I'm trying to let people know that it's an uphill battle right now and that it's not 
us against green energy. It is us against trying to have people tell us that green energy can replace fossil fuels because it cannot. It's not even close. You start talking about just the batteries it takes for these electric vehicles. Okay, well, half of them lithium. Okay, what is the other half? Carbon. Okay, where do you get carbon? Fossil fuels. <laughs> you, know, you can't even get the plastic case that this battery goes in or the amount of plastic that are in these new electric vehicles, EVs, without hydrocarbons. Okay, and there's no way that enough electricity, I mean, the only way they could possibly get enough electricity and go green is nuclear. But as we all know, nobody wants that in my backyard. You know, Harry Reid made sure that the Yucca Mountain project that we needed terribly, because right now people don't know it, but all of these nuclear power facilities are having to store their spent rods on their property. They're not set up for that. They're not set up for the security of that. But yet that's what they're forced to do because the one place that we had that could have housed all that, the Yucca Mountain Project, right at the last minute, Harry Reid comes and says, ah, you know what? I appreciate the billions of dollars of tax money in my state, but we're not going to use that for that. And so, you know, that's what we're coming up against right now with the nuclear. But that is the only clean energy that could possibly produce enough electricity to get us from natural gas, which is the bridge fuel to the future. That's the other thing that my co-host, Butch Black, and I talk about all the time. Liquefied natural gas has enabled the United States to be able to use a valuable, plentiful resource that we have and help fuel the world. You know, they had that big deal in Vietnam. They're finally starting to get the infrastructure and the receiving terminals to take this LNG and turn it into natural gas. But, you know, it takes time because these other nations, they don't have the pipelines running like we do. I mean, our nation's starting to try to keep us from having enough pipelines to get those hydrocarbons where they need to go. I mean, I know right now we're still buying Russian oil for the East Coast because they refuse to let a pipeline go 15 feet under a historic trail. Exactly. I mean, it's these things like this. And, it's, and so through our show, what we try to do is keep people up to date on trends, trending you know the hydrogen that came up real big okay well it's not as easy as what it sounds to turn hydrogen into energy it takes a lot of water I mean, it takes a lot you know and there's just not a lot of places blessed with a lot of water you know so it's an evolving industry but it is an industry that is like you said a while ago and i want to get back to that these people and you and i both know them, mark they're not out there trying to pollute our rivers and our drinking water and our air because they live here, their kids live here, their grandkids live here. They're not going out there and purposely destroying the climate at all costs to get the black oil money. No, that's exactly right. And I think that the challenge is getting education out and letting people know that the energy industry, and especially the oil and gas industry, has been so supportive when it comes to, I always think about the hospitals and the donations to universities and to schools, even schools like Elk City that have had some activity that way for our support through the years. And I think that's what we have to look at is, you know, the energy industry, the oil and gas industry gives back in a big way, probably more than I know of any other sector. And they protect the environment as best they can and have come a long way through the years, of course. And we'll continue to do so. But your show is, where do people go 
to listen to the Export Energy Show? Well, they can go to KECOFM.com. We also have a Paragon Communications app that they can download that has KECO, a live feed on it. They can go to our exploringenergy.net website and access it there. We generally do a Facebook Live every day, but we've had a little bit of trouble with our vmix unit up in the studio and we're getting that rectified but right now you can go back and listen to all the archives on exploringenergy.net all one word exploringenergy.net you'll know it when you get there which black and eyes picture will <laughs> be great. on there yeah. and, but like i said mark education is the key you know if you just start ramming i liken it to a preacher You know, we've all been to those sermons where the preacher just force feeds you his personal beliefs, his personal interpretation of the Bible. And when you come out of there, you just feel like, you know, and then we've all been to those churches, or I hope people have, where the minister lays it on the table and allows you to take from it what you wish. You know, if you're still new to it and you take the softer food, if you're a little, you know, a little further into it, then you start getting on the meat of the deal. And so that's kind of what we try to do with our show. We try to lay out the information and then allow people to make their own determination. Now, I'll tell you straight up, we lean to the right. I mean, we're conservative. I make no bones about that. But I'm like this, and I talked about this on this morning on the show, and I hope everybody in America starts understanding. It's like a sports analogy. When the crowd does nothing but cheer when the opposing team makes a mistake, instead of cheer for when their team does something right, there's an issue that is not proactive. You need to cheer for those that are on your team that do good and not just celebrate every time the other team makes a mistake. And it's the same way in our industry right now. We understand that, you know, there are people out there that think that fossil fuels are evil, but they still drive around in their cars. They still carry that plastic cell phone in their pocket. They still use pharmaceuticals. They still use makeup. I mean, no person in the United States is not, touched by hydrocarbons in some way, shape, or form, most all of them in a very large way in their daily lives. Well, I hate to end the program, the episode today with that, but I do like to end it with what you just said for sure. But with questions, I still would love to ask you, give me some tips and others tips and advice and so forth. So that means we're going to have to have you back. And the words that you (laughs) just have spoken, the last few words you spoke, well, well taken, I know by others. And I hope they'll take it to heart as well, because that's what you do. You provide what you feel from the heart and mind and convey that each day on Exploring Energy. So please go to Exploring Energy to listen to a great host, and especially Sean, your leadership through the years. Thank you for keeping this going, and we'll continue to go for many years ahead. We'll get you back on the Energy Fellows podcast, hopefully soon. And in the meantime, the future of energy depends on us depends on all of us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansbury, your host. Thank you. Join us again next week on the Energy Fellows Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.